Sunday, our celebration of the risen Jesus, the resurrected Jesus. Today, as part of our worship, we're going to partake of communion together. So, uh, as we always say, you don't have to partake if you wish to. Uh, we invite you to come. But this is a table of the Lord. It's a table of remembrance. And for those that wish to participate, 
We ask in just a moment you come down to center aisle, take the elements, and then round over and head back to your seats. Well, we do this today in remembrance because of the work of the cross of Jesus Christ and what that work means for each one of us. Amen. So after you grab the elements and, and go back to your seat, I have a scripture I want to read you. So if you would, if you want to partake today, come on down. Come to the table of the Lord and take each of the elements, the, the cup and the bread. to read to you from Psalm chapter 22. In Psalm 22, as we come to know, it's a messianic psalm. In other words, the writer and inspiration of Psalm 22 was not only speaking of things that they knew of, but what they didn't know, they were prophesying about one who was to come. Psalm 22, verse number one, opens like this. It says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? As we know that Jesus quoted that psalm on the cross and drawing into not only his moment of his humanity, but drawing the scriptures prophetically to his moment. Later in that psalm, prophetically speaking of the crucifixion, it starts in verse 14, I am poured out like water. And all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. And my, stung, my tongue sticks to my jaws. It says, you lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me, a, a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. 
They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. You are my help. Come quickly to my aid. Part of that, that psalm that draws us to the events of Good Friday this week. That they pierced his hands and his feet through the excruciating process of a crucifixion laid his bones bare. His body was crucified, his blood was shed. And Jesus, before these events happened at the, the Last Supper, the Lord's Supper, reoriented the Passover meal back to himself, that the Passover, the great deliverance of the Israelites from Egypt now is the big picture theme of what Jesus does in our deliverance. For by his work, death ultimately passes over us. For in him we find life. So he asked us in that moment, those that were at the table with him, but ultimately those who would follow him and call him their savior and their Lord to consistently do this in remembrance of him. We actually proclaim this until he comes again. We proclaim the death of Jesus until he returns. And so much that we do this consistently, but certainly this week, as we stand in remembrance of Good Friday coming this week, that the work of Jesus the cross is central to what we believe. Amen. For Christ has died. Amen. As we celebrate next Sunday, Christ is risen. Amen. And we stand in hope and faith. It's our great hope that Christ is coming again. Amen. Lord, we thank you for your body that was crucified for us. You willingly took our place on the cross fulfilling the wage of sin, which is death, in our place, our representative. You took our sins to that tree. And we are grateful. Forever grateful for what you have done for us. Lord, we worship you today, and we praise you today, and we Lift your name up high today, above all things. For you are our hope, you are our answer, you are the one who gives us life. And we stand in that as we partake of the bread today. Let's partake. And with the crucified body was the shedding of blood. And you know, there, there, were, there were lots and lots, thousands of people that were crucified by the Romans. You know that? It wasn't like Jesus and the two that were crucified with him were the only ones. The Romans did this a lot. But what makes Jesus different? Son of God. Living life on this earth in human flesh 
died for our sins because he is the only Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And his blood covers our sin. You realize there is no sin in your life that the blood of Jesus does not cover. You know that. There is nothing too deep and too dark and too far gone that the blood of Jesus does not cover. Amen. And we stand in that. That is our hope. That we are forgiven because Jesus was the once and done sacrifice. Lord, we, we partake of this cup today. And, and even wonder and even awe of the forgiveness of sins. That your blood that was shed covers it all. It was more than enough. That we can simply stand and ask and believe and then receive. So as we partake of this cup this morning, we remember that your earthly life led to this for our salvation. Partake of the cup this morning. Just for a moment, I want you personally just to reflect on what the cross of Christ means to you. I know for me, it's like when I reflect on it, I, I kind of get lost in a little bit of wonder because the amazing work that it does. Sometimes it, it's, it's a little mind-boggling to me what God has done for me and for us. Amen. So just for a moment, I want you to reflect on Jesus and the cross and the forgiveness of your sins. Reflect on that. Oh, Jesus, thank you. Oh, Jesus, we worship you. Oh, Jesus. Wonderful Savior. Oh, the mighty God who has saved us. Lord, your willingness to die on a cross. My goodness. Lord, we would never take it for granted. We would never look at your grace in a cheap and kind of use it for our own good way, but not recognize beyond that the wonder of who you are. Oh, we praise you, Jesus. We thank you. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Lord, Lord, we are your people. We're your children. We're adopted into your incredible family. Lord, I, I pray that we live like it. That these moments we have together, these sacred moments, are, are, are stark reminders. of your love, 
your mercy and your grace, your patience. And that we respond to that with our whole being, everything that we are. A life lived for you, by you, and in you, and for you. Oh, Jesus.
morning. Good to have you live streamers, wherever you're watching from, too, on uh, Facebook, YouTube, wherever that's at. I'm glad to have you with us. And by, by the way, if you're, a, if you're a live streamer, let me just throw this out to you real fast. It, I love live stream for those that can't get out. We do have uh, those that we consider shut-ins and whatnot that can't uh, physically get out of their house to come to church. So live stream is wonderful for that. But having said that, if you are physically able to get out of your house, nothing like meeting in the house of God. So we encourage you to come join us in person if you're local to us. All right. Um, but tithe and offering. If you have something to give, there's offering envelopes and chairs in front of you. If not, wave your hand around where the ushers will help you out. They also have uh, prayer request cards. If you have a prayer need, we'd love to join in faith with you about that. So uh, ask for one of those and, and get those to me, and we'll pray for them. Certainly our, our Monday night prayer prays over them uh, as well as uh, I do. So do that if you have a prayer need. But we are thankful for your giving and your faithfulness in your giving. Uh, and we believe the Lord, the Lord always does beyond what we in our own wisdom can come up with, right? And we believe that in the giving that comes in the house, that, that he is doing things and advancing his kingdom uh, with the finances that come in. Not only what happens in the house, but in our community also. So let me pray over that. And if you have something, you can bring it down to these uh, basket, bucket, whatever these things are. All right. Lord, we thank you. Uh, for an opportunity to continue in our worship today and our giving. Just a profession of your faithfulness is what this is. A response in our tithe and our offering to that. Lord, as we give today, it's just reminding ourselves that you are God, money is not our God, and that you are the one that goes before us and provides for us. And we thank you for the faithfulness of provision that is always there. In Jesus' name we all say Amen. So you can bring something this morning. Uh, I do have uh, some announcements. If you are new with us today or you've been here a little bit and you've never filled out a Connect card, I'd love to get one of these from you. It's just my way of connecting to you. Uh, we don't pound you with information or phone calls or stuff in the mail, but just a way that uh, we can let know you a little bit better. So if, uh, if that's you, you can bring it to Margo right here, wave your hand around, or Kelly right there. And if you give one of these to them, they have something for you. And then certainly if you're new to our church and want to know a little bit of information about us, that's what these blue uh, photos are in the chair in front of you. Just a little bit about us. You can check that out and take that with you. Uh, but announcement-wise, um, this coming Friday is Good Friday. And we have uh, here at the church from 6 to 8 p.m. what we call a time of reflection. It is not a service. It's not like it's, it, you have to be here at 6 and stay till 8. But any time between 6, and I would say the latest to show it would be about 7.15 or so, uh, we have stations in the church that you and your family, actually the wonderful time for parents to walk uh, through some things and talk to your kids about the crucifixion of Jesus. But there'll be stations of reflection that you can spend as much time at each station as you want, uh, and just and it'll be in the room here closing out with uh, time of communion. So that's this Friday from 6 to 8. If you have questions about that, let me know, but uh, commemorating Good Friday and what Good Friday is about. Now, the time of reflection sort of leaves you in a somber place because it's all about the crucifixion of Jesus. Purposely so, because then it kind of sets us up for the celebration of Resurrection Sunday next week. And then next Sunday is uh, Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. So, by the way, it's one of the big times of year to invite people out to church, so we encourage you to do so. Uh, by the way, next week is a One Big Family Sunday. 
this, this is a month that has five weeks, but instead of doing it the last Sunday, as always, we always spend Easter together with all us in the house together. So just so you know that. So all of our kids will be with us for the service next week. And if you invite some people out and it looks like we need some more space, we'll throw some chairs up in the back. Okay, we'll be prepared for that. But Good Friday and Easter Sunday coming up. So this is a, a big uh, church week to invite people out. And uh, I will, I promise you, I will share the gospel next week as part of our Easter message. So please bring people out that need to know Jesus. Amen? All right, women's events coming up. So why don't you grab that mic and turn it on while you're coming up. I'll tell them about the men's event. So, uh, guys, we've got coming up on April the 14th, the Friday night at 6.30. Uh, men are getting together. We're going to have some food, a little bit of devotion, a little worship, and we're going to do some guy stuff. So be there for that. All right? So uh, there's a sign-up sheet at the back for that. And it's for uh, kind of junior high, fifth grade-ish on up. So if you've got some young boys, uh, uh, bring them out too. So there's a sign-up sheet back there for that. And, and if you work and you'll show up a little late, that's fine. Go ahead and sign up and come when you can. And we do have a ladies' event on April the 29th. So why don't you tell them about that? Is this on? Oh, yes, yes. it's on. Yes, April 29th, we are doing um, from 10 to 2, so there will be lunch. Um, ours is for ages 13 and up. It's a Ooh. women's event, but we want to start, you know, we want to start because we're talking about identity and purpose and all of those things, what God calls us. And so 13 and up, we, we want to start right at that age and... Go on up with that. So um, we are going to be doing, um, there is no child care. That's the only thing I, I, because from age 13 and up, I mean, like, you know, poor Lila, she's always our babysitter, but we want her to be here, right? So um, that's why we're giving you good warning. And men. By the way, this is a wonderful opportunity for you guys to do something for your wife, watch the yes. kids so they can come to the women's <laughs> event. Oh, I'm so glad and you said and that. And ladies, you can use that later. You can say, remember what the pastor said. So you can you can throw that on him. I give you permission. Anyway, go Yeah, ahead. but it's going to be a really good, I'm really looking forward to it. So um, we're going to really, um, it's just going to be a great time of fellowship um, and learning and teaching. I'm just really, really excited about it. So Good deal. Thank you. So you can take that with you. Um, both events do cost five bucks, and yeah. so I know the ladies will be due the week before. Guys, you can just bring your money that night. That just helps us offset the cost of the food and things like that. Okay. You got your Bibles, Matthew chapter 21. You want to get into the Word with me today? Yes, today is good. It's Palm Sunday, and uh, certainly kicks off what we call the Passion Week. The, the life of Jesus, the example of his living, the things that he taught, the things that he did, and certainly the events of Good Friday and Easter Sunday are actually the turning points of human history. And we were talking about this a couple weeks ago. And specifically central to that is the cross. See, they are the turning points of history as we know it. In other words, the trajectory of all things, including the trajectory of humankind, had been changed. And I can't express this enough. There are no words that are adequate, but how big and how true, how thorough, and how absolute that is. As Christians, we, we confess this. We confess the cross of Christ. Amen. And certainly when we confess his resurrection, and even if you don't quite understand how it all works and, and gets figured out, we confess a lot of times beyond what we understand. 
You don't have to be a theologian to get it. But your belief and your faith, you are drawn into it. The work of Jesus on the cross is immensely big in the history of human beings. So Matthew chapter 21 and verse number 1 is recorded in Matthew, what's called the triumphal entry. And we'll just read down through verse 11, kind of set up some things today. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says to you, uh, says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. And this took place, was Phil, was spoken was by the prophet, and that, that is Zechariah chapter 9, and I think believe verse number 9 also, saying, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, now watch the wording here, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. And the disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. And they brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. And most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds went before him, and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. So Jesus is now entering Jerusalem to begin the events that lead him to the cross. And there's some interesting things in this little narrative about Jesus coming in. The first thing is that Jesus enters Jerusalem on a donkey. You wouldn't think that means much, but there's, there's a lot of symbolism wrapped up in that donkey. Now, when we think of, of Palm Sunday, we think of the palm branches, people coming out and laying palms down and, and, and shouting Hosanna. But the donkey, believe it or not, is a very uh, central symbolism to what's happening here. What would happen often is when somebody of prominence, like a war general or a king of that nature, when they would come into a city, they were coming in on war horses, big uh, animals that with pride almost, you know, and, and to the fanfare of the people coming in. But Jesus comes in the exact opposite. That word that's drawn from the prophet Zechariah that's there, humble, other translations have peaceful. That Jesus comes to be crowned king, as it says in Zechariah, that your king comes to you, but how the king is crowned means everything. He didn't come into the city to trample the city. He came in to be submissive to the will of the Father. And when the crowds are crying Hosanna, that word literally means save now. Hosanna to the son of David. Now, they're, they're trying to draw on the lineage. Remember, their, their, their forefather David, the great king and warrior David, come in and save us is what they're wanting. Well, he did save them, but not in how they thought he would. So Jesus comes humble on a, a donkey to the shouts of save us, save us now. 
to be crowned king. And he, he is crowned king. Remember on the cross, what they put above him, king of the Jews, right? Yes, he was. They did it in a mocking fashion, not understanding the truth of what they are saying. So Jesus has come to save now, but his salvation was through trial by ones who had no right to try him. Convicted by ones who had no right to convict him. Beaten, mocked by ones who had no authority over him. Crucified to death. And he entered into a death that could not hold him. Amen. See, the triumphal entry brings into fulfillment the resetting of all the wrongs of our world. And we begin to see these in some ways that it, it foreshadows things that we have seen in Scripture before as these things are sort of brought to the surface in the story of the Passion Week. Remember, Jesus ends up in the Garden of Gethsemane where he's struggling with his humanity in that moment, what to do. Remember, he prays, ultimately, that not my will be done, but your will be done, right? He submits. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and it contrasts when Adam and Eve were in the Garden, they end up in disobedience. The disobedience of Adam and Eve in the Garden is set right by the obedience of Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane. When Adam and Eve sinned, the Bible says that when God came walking in the garden, they went and hid behind some trees, realizing their nakedness and their shame. But Jesus comes and he hangs on a tree, the cross. Yes, naked like Adam and Eve, but instead of being there in shame, he actually conquers shame. One of the judgments of sin on Adam and Eve because of the sin they brought in this world was the curse of the growth of thorns in the ground. Jesus wears a crown of thorns as he ushers in salvation from that sin. Adam and Eve, because of their sin, they're cast out of the garden, out of paradise, remember? Garden, so they could not come back in. But in his death, Jesus on the cross and the thief with him, remember he said, today you will be with me where? In paradise. Sin takes us out of paradise, but the work of Jesus brings it back in. Where Adam caused man and the trajectory of man to go into sin, Jesus writes as the new Adam. But showing it in a very real, concrete way, not just the son of God, but the thief that was with him in forgiveness end up in paradise. We're setting that wrong. See, the work of Christ on the cross is resetting and changing and reorienting the path of humankind. But what that triumphal entry leads to is what we find in Isaiah chapter 53. Turn there with me. I'm, I'm going to read this whole chapter in the book of Isaiah. It'll just take a moment. But the work of Jesus on the cross is foretold by Isaiah some 700 years before it actually happens. Again, bringing out the, the, uh, the line of the work of God all uh, intertwined in our scriptures. That the focal point of our Bible is Jesus. 
and it points to him. The Old Testament leans towards him. Isaiah 53 says this. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of the dry ground. Now watch these things that foreshadowed Jesus. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one who, from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But we was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and by his wounds or by his stripes we are healed. And all we like sheep have gone astray, and we have turned every one to his own ways, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like the sheep that before his shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people, and made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He had put him to grief. And when his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offering. He shall prolong his days. And so the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Now the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many. He shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he was poured out his soul to death and was numbered among the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Wow. Wow. That's the work of Jesus on the cross. This, this whole thing of coming into Jerusalem, riding on the peaceful donkey, with the crowd shouting, save now, save now, the line of David, this may be the king, this may be the anointed one, this may be the Messiah, this may be the one to overthrow the, the Roman rule of the oppression in which we're under. He ends up on Good Friday right there. The king that saves is the one who dies on the cross and bears our sins. This is called the act of atonement. I know it's a churchy word. Atonement means to be made at one. In other words, 
unified and reconciled with God. In the work of the cross, our sins are covered, but not just covered, our sins are removed. For all the evil and all the violence that has seeped into God's good creation, Jesus sets to make that right, to correct it, to make us right with God in relationship. Listen, sin's a big deal. Sin is crime against God. Sin is serious. Sin is universal. But it is only God himself who can conquer it and forgive it because man is unable. Since death is the penalty of sin, since death is the wage of sin, it's the result of sin, death is the reaping of the sowing of sin, only God can step in and step into that void and do something about it on our behalf. The slide I want to throw up, Christian, if you'll put it up. Jesus took all the ugliness of sin onto himself so the penalty of sin might be averted. Jesus took all the ugliness of sin onto himself so the penalty of sin might be averted. You don't have to turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. It says literally Jesus took our sins into his body on the cross. All the sins of the past, all the sins of the present, and even the sins of the future into forgiveness. So the penalty might be averted for God's people. Who are God's people? Those who believe, those who repent. And what it means is that they are forgiven, and not just forgiven, but set free. See, this can happen. You think about it this way. This can happen because the author of the story steps into his story. The painter of the artwork steps back into his artwork. The creator steps back into his creation. And he relives the human drama in our place. God in flesh fully human, living a sinless life, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And the cross of Christ is how he does it. You cannot be in the forgiveness of your sins in the way God intends without Jesus dying on the cross. Do you understand that? The cross changes everything. And it's the best thing that can happen for you. Galatians chapter 2 in verse number 20. Paul writing here, and he's dealing with issues of, of the law and, 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 and those who come into Jesus and what it means according to the law and, and not having lived according to the law and all these different kind of things. Galatians chapter 2, verse number 20, in the midst of that, says something that's so important. find it. That'd be good. There we go. Paul writing here, Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. 
And the life I live now, live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So, Christian, put that second slide up. See, we are crucified with Christ. And ultimately, then we are raised to life with him. See, all humanity is bound up in this. See, Paul writing that we're crucified with Christ, it means that, that through him, through his substitutionary work, my sin has been dealt with and crucified also. And living in him, as it says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 6, it says that then we are raised to life with him. In other words, our new life is now bound up with him as he is now our life. And this happens and continues to happen within us because we live by faith. John chapter 19 and verse number 5. Something to point out in the trial of Jesus with Pilate. Kind of, kind of picking up, obviously, mid-story here and just pulling something out here. John chapter 19 and verse number 5. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns which they put upon him and the purple robe that they put upon him mocking him as, as some sort of king. And Pilate said to him, them, Behold the man. I like that statement. Behold the man. See, Jesus, God in Christ somehow incorporated the entire history of the human race in these moments. As he is the one true human person, God in flesh. And everything that he did so made us participants in that. So in other words, Christ died upon the cross, so I am crucified with him. Amen. Christ raised to life, so I am raised to life with him. And our participation with Christ, because he is the man, makes us participants in the eternal victory of God. We are participants in the eternal victory of God. You know that. You see that because of what Jesus has done for us. The on the cross, God acts decisively. He used the intention of an ugly crucifixion for his triumph. Evil has been swallowed up in love. All the works of evil, past, present, and even to the future, are swallowed up in the love of Jesus. See, he ends up on that cross because of love. He ends up on that cross because he wants to save. He is there in mighty triumph. And that's the way the kingdom of God works. Where it seems to be a loss. And you can imagine 
and you have to think about the story a little bit. The longer this goes along, especially coming into Jerusalem, it, it, that seemed to be very symbolic at the time, coming at the time that he did and the manner that it happened. There's all these expectations. And, and remember, we read at the triumphal entry, the city was stirred up. Who could this be? They're asking the question. There was expectation that was building. But you realize that when Jesus died on the cross, hope was lost, so it seemed. Because the anointed one, the Messiah, the one that would come fulfill the long tradition of Israel to come and and free them and make them this great nation once again, certainly that figure can't die. And all that was to the people that saw this was just another in the long line of a false Messiah, the one we thought but I guess was not. And if you put yourself in the story and you get wrapped up in the anticipation and the hope, then the crucifixion happens. Remember at Gethsemane, Peter, being who he is, he, he's ready to fight for this. He pulls out a sword and he takes a swing. Remember, he cuts off the ear of the servant of the high priest. I don't think he was aiming for his ear. I think he missed. Wasn't a warning shot. He's trying to take the guy out. You realize the last miracle of Jesus before the resurrection is healing that man's ear? And there's a lot to be said in that. The ones who have come and now start this process of a trial, and he knows he's headed for a crucifixion. He knows what's happening. Here comes the opposition. The last miracle was to heal the ear of the opposing people. The ones that will be part of crying, crucify him. He showed his love right there. Peter, put your sword away. That's not how my kingdom comes. Peter, put your sword away. That's not how my kingdom's going to happen. That's not how I'm going to be crowned king. New life and abundant life will not be found in that manner. Matter of fact, if you live by the sword, that's how you'll die. You'll reap what you sow. Jesus willingly went to a cross out of love in order to save. And the thing that always strikes me about Jesus was, and this is a way to think about these things in theology, but at what point in the life of Jesus, he was born as a baby, did he start to realize these things? At what point did he start to come into comprehension who he was? At what point also in his understanding of the scriptures did he realize that Psalm 22, oh my, that's about me. Isaiah 53, that's about me. You see what I'm saying? He knew where this was headed. And Peter writes, in recounting Isaiah 53, by his stripes we were healed. Peter writes in there, in recounting what Isaiah says, that in the midst of this, he didn't defend himself. He didn't open his mouth and shout back. Could have called the legions of angels. Remember, he said that. He said, I could deal with this if I wanted to. But love takes him to a cross because he could have brought the legions of angels. He could have allowed Peter and the disciples to fight with swords. And none of it would have afforded the forgiveness of our sins. And he willingly went there for us. Here's a quote. I, I use this every year at Easter time. 
So you've heard this before. There's a theologian long, long passed away, Balthazar. He says this. Being disguised under the disfigurement of an ugly crucifixion and death, the Christ upon a cross is paradoxically the clearest revelation of who God is. The greatest expression that we can see tangibly of the love of God outside of creation itself is Jesus on the cross. The fullest expression of his love for each one of us is exposed while he's exposed on the cross. Remember Romans chapter 5, verse number 8 says, God shows his great love for us in this. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. He doesn't wait for you to come to him all perfected. He doesn't wait for you to come and clean up your mess first. He doesn't wait for you to have to understand it all to come to him. But while we were yet sinners, ignorant, living our life the way we want, Christ dies for us. And he binds up all of humanity in that act in a mysterious way. He binds all of us up in that moment. All of our sin. All of the evil of this world. He not only takes our sin in crucifixion to forgive us, but at that moment, sin is fully judged and so is the enemy. It is the triumph of God in the cross of Christ. Now, there's a big extra part of this, and that's the resurrection. We'll get to that next week. That's a big part of this, too. That, that's new creation on the ground in this lost world. But how about this week? As much as you can think of it, I encourage you to think of it every day, think about the love of Jesus on the cross. Think about his work of atoning, making us at one with God, sacrifice. Think about how he does it in our place. Think about how he pays the price for all of us. Think about his suffering. Come Friday night, that's, that's part of what Friday night's about, to remind us of his suffering. Think about these things. Meditate on them. Now, now, here's what I promise. If you do that, chances are it'll make you a little somber. Correct? But that's okay because next week we get to celebrate. One of the, one of the wonders, one of the wonders of how God takes what is wrong and makes it right, you realize the full joy of the resurrection is only fully felt because there has been death. Yeah. The full joy of God resetting all that is wrong with this world can happen because there was a wrong in this world. And where the havoc of sin has personally touched your life in different ways, through your decisions or through things that just happened, However that has touched you, 
All that does is carp deeper caverns within you to receive the joy of the work of God. You know that. Because when we are resurrected, oh my goodness, what a glorious day that will be. How many of you have ever experienced the pain and the grieving of a lost loved one? Anybody? That's just carving caverns within you so when there is the resurrection, the joy will be so much greater. The joy is intensified because of the mess of this world. That's how God works. That's what the cross starts for us. So think this week. Take time. Come together with us Friday night as we put an emphasis on it. Then we'll come back next Sunday, eat a little breakfast, shout a little bit. Is that okay? Can we do that? Because Christ has died, but Christ is risen. Amen. So, here's how I want to close today. I want you personally, before you leave this room today, to know that the work of Jesus that we talked about today, what he did for us, is fully realized in you. Because the thing about God is that he never forces you to do anything or what relationship is there. You see what I mean? There's not just a nice story that we talk about in the church at least once a year, hopefully a lot more than that, but, but it is an actual work of God in our history that it happened. It's real life. It was there. And the work that Jesus did on the cross, everything that was all about, it's there in front of us. It has happened. So what do you do with that? God doesn't force that into your life. He doesn't force you to believe. He doesn't force you to have faith. He doesn't force you to ask for forgiveness. He doesn't force you to repent. He doesn't force any of those things. There's a whole world that needs Jesus, but they fail to acknowledge him. They didn't make you do so. Now, the thing is, that doesn't change the fact that he's king of kings and lord of lords. That doesn't change anything as far as that goes. But what it means for your life means everything. If you have not given yourself over to what that means for you, I encourage you to do it before you leave this room today. It will change everything for you. Doesn't make life perfect. I'm not promising that. Doesn't make life full of, of, of roses and everywhere you go there's some angel spreading rose petals in front of you. It's not like that. Doesn't make life easy. Well, what it does is it will forgive you of your sins and change the destiny of your eternity. And that's the biggest deal. And it's really easy, by the way. When Paul writes it, he calls it a gift. It's simply just asking and giving yourself. Certain ways you say surrendering yourself. I think we struggle with that part sometimes. Yeah, I believe. I'm not sure I want to give myself all the way over. Yeah, that's where the gift leads you. 
that he will forgive you of your sins. He will set you free from your sins. He'll cast your sins as far as the east is to the west. In other words, he keep, as Paul writes in how we treat each other, that we keep no record of wrongs, that's what God does for us. You realize right now, for me in heaven, or, or however God would, would uh, understand and think and interact with the world, he does not have a booklet with my name recounting all my past sins. The page was ripped out and thrown away. He doesn't hold that over my head. He keeps no record of wrongs. That's the amazing love of God. That's how much he wants to save his creation. And he will do that for you. And all you have to do is ask, Lord, Lord Jesus, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Show me what it means to live life for you. That's repentance. He'll change you. He won't leave you in your sin, but now he'll show you a different way. That's repentance. Turning from your sin. That you don't live in that, that death and that, that decay and what, what will, will harm you any longer but opens the road of new life that we'll talk about next week. So if everybody would just bow your heads in a moment. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you to come down. I'm not going to ask any, anybody to do that, but I'm going to allow you a moment at your seat to simply reach out to God, ask for the forgiveness of your sins, and then ask him to show you what life is really all about. Amen. Lord, hear us. You are not far from us. You're not angry at us. But you're offering us love in life. Love of forgiveness. Love in, well, relationship with you. Reconciliation. And for those that are praying that simple prayer, but absolutely life-changing, we know that you hear them. Lord, I just pray, Lord, that now that they, with the help of the Holy Spirit, help of this church, help of the people around them, start to live what it means to follow you as a new creation walking in this lost world. Lord, we thank you for saving us. We thank you for forgiving us. We thank you for giving us new life. And our response to you is to live for you. Lord, change us, help us, strengthen us, encourage us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, during that prayer, you did pray. You said, Lord, just forgive me. Please come talk to me. I want to just spend just a minute with you and connect with you for a moment before you leave today. Amen? High five your neighbor. I know it's good. Okay, about half of you did it. High five your neighbor. All right, okay, that's a little better. All right, Wednesday night, I'm going to start a series on relationships. Yeah, so come on out for that next Sunday, Easter Sunday, Good Friday. We'll see you here. Be blessed as you go this week.